Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, where we share the Sermon of the Week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. Everybody good? All right, let's pray before we begin today. God, I just thank you for an opportunity to share your word. I pray, Lord, you speak through me today. Let it not be my words, but let it be yours. I pray for every heart, as Pastor Ryan prayed earlier, would be open and receptive to hear from your scripture. And I pray that today we would not leave the same we came in today. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, My name's Aaron. And uh, this morning we're going to talk about the fight. As you can see on the screen behind me, we're going to be talking about a fight. There's a boxer there, and, uh, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. That's really fun. The last time I preached, what did we talk? We talked about sewing. And if you remember, I had a microwave here on the stage, and I had an attempt at cornbread. <clears throat> I don't know that you can call it cornbread. It was an attempt. We had corn which is the first half. Uh, We had bread, which is the second half of the word. And then we had butter because God made butter and it's good. And it it didn't turn out so good. And as you can see, uh, no cornbread for you today. So why are we recapping that? Well, I want to let you know that it's important to follow God's process instead of our own process. Amen. Additionally, we discussed that Ariel and I, we we got a little personal, and we'll get a little personal again today, but we had a goal to be debt-free besides our home, and by the end of the year, right after Christmas, uh, we accomplished that goal, and we are really happy about that. And the only way we did it is we realized that God's process for handling money was so much better than our process. Clearly, we kept screwing it up. And and so we we asked God, like, what do you want us to do with our finances? We look in scripture. We talked about it a little bit last time I preached, and we followed the process. Imagine that. You follow God's process, and you get God's results. And so I give him all the credit for that. This is exciting, but let me tell you this. This past year was not fun. I did not have a good time. (laughs) Following God's process is not always fun because it, it gets us out of our comfort zone. It gets us out of our own habits and habitual sin, and it takes us to a place where we have to grow and stretch, and that's where we were. But along this journey, we learned some key points of wisdom that help us create a game plan for what's next. Now, don't get me wrong. It feels really nice to reach a milestone moment like that, you know? Uh, And it's a completion, honestly, of an eight-year process for my wife and I. And we can easily say at this point, I think the world would say, like, you get to celebrate now. Like, way to go. You know, we get to to reward ourselves, and surely it could be something extravagant. And I had thoughts instantly when we we paid off that last bill. I said, man, it'd be nice to jump on a plane. Go to a resort where they have free chicken wings every day. And (laughs) I could do that, God. Surely... I deserve to reward myself. Or I could buy that nice truck. I I watch everyone else drive them and I go, whoa, look at that thing. The tailgate opens three times? How does that work? (laughs) But the payments wouldn't be that bad now, right? Because we don't have other stuff to pay for. So surely we could could reward ourselves or we could upgrade to a nicer home. Ours is very simple and it fits our family. Praise God that God provided a simple home that fits our family. But I've seen some of you guys' homes. It's pretty sweet. Y'all got rooms you don't even go in. But the truth is, for Ariel and I, we're just not finished. There's too much to do 
So we, we are pro-fun, though. Don't get me wrong. We celebrated at a Mexican restaurant with a bowl of queso and guac. <laughs> God is good. So the way we rewarded ourselves was much more simple. Yes, I, be- I believe in God for those things, and he's going to give them to me because he's faithful. But we rewarded ourselves in a simple way because we have work to do. Amen? So we're going to get into some scripture this morning, and I, this whole thing, this whole intro reminds me of Paul in scripture when he talks to the Philippian church, and he says in Philippians 3, 12 through 16, he's talking to these guys, and, and Paul's a pretty big deal at this point in scripture. He's doing some really cool things. He's traveling. He's, he's having a good time, but he says to the church, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. That's something we have to understand. Another translation says, I have not arrived. How many of us get to a place in life where we're like, I did it? Look at me. I'm some hot stuff right now. Does everyone see what I did? Okay, great. But Paul says, listen, I have not arrived. Where are we at in the scripture? There it is. Uh, But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Jesus Christ is calling us. That heavenly prize is being in heaven with him when we die. Uh, Verse 15, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you don't, uh, I believe God will make it plain to you. But the final verse, verse 16, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Now, I love that last verse. Keep it up there. We must, not we probably should, or it would be a good idea, but we must hold on to that progress we have already made. This means don't turn around, don't slip up, don't do it, don't do it. I look at my dog before she tries to dig another hole in the backyard and I go, hey, don't do it. But speaking of dogs, Proverbs 26, 11, this is a really interesting verse. It says, as a dog returns to its what? Its vomit. Never thought you were going to say that today. So a fool repeats his foolishness. Well, what does this mean? Well, even when foolishness brings terrible consequences, a fool will run back to it. It makes me think of a pig. Uh, the, it's the equivalent of washing a pig. You're happy for the pig to be clean, and you, you hope that he's happy to be clean, but it will return to the mud immediately. It's wired to want the mud. It must have the mud. Now, I don't want you to, uh, if I don't want to be the proverbial pig in this scenario, I have to say no to my mud. Now, it's easy to say uh, no to the mud moments in my wife because I've, I've gone through some pain this past year. I said it wasn't very fun, and I'm not lying there. Uh, not being able to put my kids to bed every night. I took up another job, and I just work all day long. It's dark when I go to work, and it's dark when I come home. Anybody else relate? I know you're out there. But I couldn't put my kids to bed. That is something that I was used to doing. I wasn't able to spend the same amount of time with my wife, and that was something I was used to doing. But that pain is so much greater than the desire to get whatever I want, whenever I want, no matter not if I can afford it, amen? And they, that may not be for you, but for me, this is a fight, the fight to be financially free. I've got the gloves on. Look at the photo up there. I've got the gloves on. I've, I've been fighting. I've been in the ring. I've got the mouthpiece in. I've turned the dial from one or two, to be honest, right? Sometimes we don't put that much effort, but I, I turned it from about one or two all the way to 10. And I am ready to knock out whatever comes next. Amen. 
Now, you might be in the same boat or you might be in a different fight. People in our church and in our community have different fights and it can look like their marriage. You might be fighting for your marriage. It could be your family members. Anyone have a crazy family member? Don't raise your hand. You might be fighting for your kids. You might be fighting for your career, your health. You might be fighting for those relationships in your life that you're just trying to make work. And you probably fall in at least one of those categories. But this morning, I want to give us all the opportunity to make a game plan. Because people without a plan, what? They perish. And the Bible is a perfect way to start. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to dive into some scripture in the book of Numbers. And it's going to be a significant amount of scripture. And then we're going to move on and really get into the meat of it. So I need you to hang with me. Can you do that for me? Three people. Thank you. I want to give you some backstory. Uh, how many of you remember what happened in Egypt? Moses delivered the Israelites, right? Anybody tracking? The Pharaoh said, hey, you guys are staying and there's slaves there. And Moses is talking and praying to God. And Moses goes up to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Does he say yes? No. He says no, in fact, nine times. And it took the 10th time for him to actually understand how powerful God is. Then they go through the Red Sea. We've all heard of that. The Red Sea parted when Moses took his staff in the water. Could you imagine being there? It'd be nuts. Uh, and they walk through the Red Sea. The Egyptians change their mind. They're like, we're going to kill him. I'm so upset. They come with chariots and horses, and then God closes the Red Sea on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. It's, it's wild. Uh, you should go back and read it. But we are now a year past that moment. Everybody with me? Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. What is happening here is that God has given them a land to flourish in that is not Egypt. This is a land flowing with milk and honey. You might've heard that phrase before. This is a place that God said, you can have it. They've wandered for a year and they're at the door of the city and they go, Wait a second. Are we sure that God is going to do what he says he's going to do? Are we sure that God says that we can actually go in here? So they need some reassurance. And they send out 12 spies. Later in verse 17, Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev, which means actually the south country. So they're coming up from the south to go into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. So the 12 spies, actually, they scouted out the land as they were told, and they came back 40 days later. Moses then receives their report. So they went out. They said, oh, my goodness, look at all. I'm going to write this down. And they wrote down everything they saw, and they come back in verse 27. They said to Moses, we entered the land you sent us to explore. It is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. There is kind, uh, here's the kind of fruit it produces, but the people living there, that's a big but there, B-U-T, but, so it's really cool, 
But the people living there are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of the Anak. And we're going to finish up here, uh, chapter 13, verses 30 through 32. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men, so the other spies said, uh, with him disagreed, we cannot go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report throughout the land. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. So that's it for that chunk of scripture there. But you should really try to read Numbers 13 and Numbers 14. There's a lot of details that we kind of skipped over there to get to this main point. So to summarize what happens next, we see that all the Israelites, listen, there were 600,000 people in their group. So it wasn't just, you know, Caleb and a few of his buddies. This is 600,000 people. An entire nation was moving through the desert. They start freaking out because 10 out of the 12 go back to their tribes and say, we're going to die. They went and saw what God had promised them, and they said, there's no way we can do this. But only two were bold enough to trust God and fight because the Israelites delayed. So here's the deal. God says, this is where I want you to live. It's not the desert. It's actually really nice, okay? It's a gated community, and it has all the trimmings. The grapes are literally as big as your head. You're going to love it. They need a level of reassurance to say, maybe God's telling the truth. So they send out 12, 10 don't like it, two do. But it took them 40 days. And that's a significant number because they had to know what, if they could trust God or not. When God saw what they had done, he delayed their destiny for 40 years. And the very people who didn't trust God didn't get to ever see it. They died before the 40-year mark. How sad. So let's recap. The same people who were delivered from slavery... The same people who walked through the Red Sea, the same people who followed a cloud by day and fire by night, the same people who were given food in the middle of the desert for an entire year, the same ones, they are the same ones who think God won't help them fight for the land that he promised he would give them in the first place. They have everything to fight for, people, but 99% are so distracted by their emotions and fear that they stop short of the finish line. That's a lot of business, so let's get personal. Have you stopped short of that finish line in your life? What has God promised you? What has God given you that you said, man, that sounds like a good idea, but Aaron, I don't don't know, man. That would require that I do a career change. That would require that we maybe don't make as much as we did before. That would require that I do it scared. What have you stopped short of? If you've reached a point like I did a year ago, and the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of changing what you know has to change, then it's time for you to put on the gloves like I did, and it's time to fight. Amen? So first today, we're going to talk about the cost if you're taking notes. We're going to talk about the cost of fighting. So let me ask you this. We're going to get real personal. You ready? Do you have a favorite grocery store? One instantly flashed in your mind. Don't lie. Oh, yeah. Schnucks has the good milk. Yep. 
We all have a favorite grocery store. So think about your favorite grocery store. Think about yourself being there. You've walked through the doors. You go through the grocery store and you get all of your groceries. Oh, was this expired? That's not expired. Someone didn't rotate the stock. Oh, I got to get the one in the back. We, we get the things that we want or we use Instacart, if, you, if you're some people. Oh, we have some Instacarters. You're not alone. But you've gotten all of your groceries. You have two opportunities at this point. You can make a transaction. You can say, hey, thank you for the groceries. Here's my debit card. Here's my cash. I'd like to pay for these. And they go, okay, thanks. You get a receipt. You get to leave. The other option is you get to update your mugshot in the Sangamon County uh, system by not paying for the groceries. You don't make the transaction. But I want to let you know this morning that in life, there is a cost. You give of your resource to get what you need. Well, whatever you're fighting for is no different. How do we pay the cost for what we're fighting for? It's going to cost you three things. You ready? Time, talent, and your treasure. You see, those are your resources. That is what you have available in life. And on the surface, that seems really doable. But regardless of the schedule and whatever extra time you can squeeze and and, and whatever ability you have or don't have and whatever money or finances or treasure that you do or don't have, you still have to pay a cost. So let me ask you this. Can you trust God with your time? Can you trust God with your talent? I'm not hearing a whole lot of folks. Because we're all in different places, right? We're all in different seasons. And there's going to be seasons where we trust more. And that's where we're trying to get this morning. So don't feel bad if you can't say yes. uh, Because that was me a year ago. Can you trust him with your money? So when I ask myself these questions, I figure out that I must be related to the Israelites. Because check out some of my answers. Check out what I've gone through. I have seen God fulfill his promises. I have seen miracles. I was praying for somebody. It was so cool. We were at the mall, and we were doing church at the mall. Anyone remember that? I ate way too many Snickers when I worked. We were at the mall. It was a service. We were praying for people, and one guy came up and said, I can't breathe. I just can't breathe. I just have, I can't expand my chest, my lungs. And I put my hand on his chest. And I said, God, help this man breathe. And he was like, <gasps> he opened up his lungs. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> that was the first time I had seen something like that. And it was, and he disappeared. I don't know who he was, but he can breathe now. That was so cool. I've had Red Sea moments where God has just, I've come up to it. And I'm like, I, I can't walk any further. And God goes, whoop. And I can walk through a situation. Anybody else? Something interesting, my vehicle when I was 17 was struck by a train and I walked away. I watched my daughter be born at 30 weeks. They're supposed to be 40. She was born at 30 weeks after being told, uh, after I was told that my wife and she could die in the process. I was told that Adeline, if she survived, would need lots of help in her life. And of course, what did God do? He was faithful. God protected me from that train. I didn't break a bone and I was at school the next day. Ariel and Adeline thrived through that birthing process. Not a problem. And after three years of NICU doctor evaluations, NICU is uh, the preemies at St. John's. After three years of NICU doctor evaluations, it was determined that Adeline had not only caught up cognitively, but she was advanced for her age. Like I've seen God do it. Won't God do it? Then why do we doubt? 
We get to the next situation and we go, I know God did it before and that was really cool. And I gave, I posted on Facebook about it. It was so good. God really came through for me, but I don't know if he can pay this bill. I don't know if he can help my child. I don't know if he knows my career situation. So there's those people and you might be able to say, Aaron, way to go. Good for you. I haven't done that. Well, what if God hasn't provided you those situations? Listen, I'm happy for you. If you don't have to walk through what I walk through, if you don't have to walk through what your parents walked through, if you get to take a look at someone else's situation and say, oh, I don't want that, you can actually learn from their situation and say, I'm going to apply what they learned to my life so I don't have to walk through it. What a great opportunity. So, what has changed from my previous years of not trusting God to what has happened today? Well, number one, God, I gave him my time. Instead of watching TV, I got a second job. And my chair is comfortable. It's broken right now, but it's still comfortable. Because our destiny, Ariel and I's destiny requires that we're not drowning in debt. If we want to do what God has called us to do, we have to leave the debt. God, have my talent. This year, Ariel and I are launching a business. We're using our talents, new education that we acquired, and new licensing through the federal government that we had to get because our destiny requires that we go to new heights in our finances. God, have my treasure. I remember when I told God that. We have chosen to limit what we want so that we have the resources and availability to say yes to God when he gives us an opportunity that aligns with our destiny. You see, the Israelites decided that they didn't want to trust God with their time. They said, God, we need, we need like 40 days. We got to send some guys and check it out. They didn't believe that they had the talent to fight. And the only thing they treasured was their lives. Doing the right thing, hear me, doing the right thing will cost you, but not as much as it will to delay your destiny. So we talked about the cost. Let's talk about the corner. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you guys are familiar with boxing, and I'm not talking about the ability to return Amazon packages. Some of y'all got a check in your spirit that they're, oh, how's he know? God told him about me. But I'm talking about boxing. If you look at the screen, you can see the picture there. There's a boxer there walking to the ring. We probably all have an idea of what boxing is. Uh, two people with boxing gloves, they go into a ring and round after round, they try to defeat their opponent. And I'm embarrassed to say that my boxing knowledge is fully based upon Rocky 1, <laughs> Rocky 2, Rocky 5 through 12. But I do know that they start in opposing corners because they're in a, a box ring, right? But what's interesting is that they, they're not alone. Even though it's not a team sport, they have people with them called cornermen. Uh, there's these typically three. You ready? Here's the first one, the head corner man. He gives instructions or adjusts the fighter's game plan between rounds. Typically, he might also be called a trainer. The second corner man provides water, washes off the mouth guard, uh, wipes the sweat off of his face in between rounds. And the third guy, he's called the cut man. And the name describes itself. He's the one who stops facial bleeding, swelling. Uh, he applies the petroleum jelly on the cuts the fighters have. But let me ask you this morning, who is in your corner? If we're actually fighting for those things, even if it is just us on the team, it's not a team sport, can we have some folks in our corner? 
If we're all fighting for those things, you have to have a few things available to you to succeed. Number one, give instruction or help give ideas. You need someone as you're getting hit in the face in life to say, hey, Aaron, you need to, to like duck when that thing comes. Like put your hands up for God's sake, protect your face. But we like to do it alone. You need someone to help you between the battles of life. Even if you do have victory in an area, you're tired. Man, that beats you up. You need someone to be like, yeah, good job, man. You can do it. We got this next time. You know, let's go get some guacamole. And thirdly, you need someone to help you when the bruises on your face and the batteredness you feel, you get just bruised and battered from the fight. You need someone to be able to, to put some petroleum jelly, if you will, on those cuts that you experienced. So what does this have to do with scripture? Well, let's head back to see Moses, who was appointed by God to lead these people, and his brother Aaron, who he had in his corner uh, when 600,000 Israelites called for new leadership. So they went, they saw, they came back, they freaked out, here we are. Uh, Numbers 14, verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua and Caleb, tore their clothing. They said to the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored, it's really nice. It's a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of that land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Verse 10, but the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. So we have two people, Caleb and Joshua, two of the, ten, two of the 12 spies. They say, they're, 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 in, they're in the corner for Moses and Aaron. And they go, hey, hey. Like, yeah, this is a scary situation, but do you remember the whole Red Sea thing? Do you remember when we were slaves? Do you remember when we fired a, followed a fireball through the desert? Do you remember all these miracles that God has done for us? What are you freaking out about? And their response is not to counter back with intelligence or any level of, of banter, but they say, yeah, we're going to kill you. I don't know about you, but I want a Caleb and a Joshua in my life. I want someone to talk to me and make sense in my head when I'm in my emotions. I want someone reminding me of who I am when I lose my identity. I want someone to encourage me when others say that I can't do it. You see, one of my core beliefs, and I shared this the last time that I preach, is that I believe that God places people in our lives on purpose for a purpose. Our default is to do it alone, but a fighter without anyone in his corner is a bloody, battered mess. You could argue that there are people who fight alone and they win sometimes. Is that true? Sure. And it's fun to celebrate a winner. How many times in your life have you done it alone and you won and you get random people like, good job, bro. Way to go. Let's go party. Let's get some guacamole. I'm excited for you. Let's celebrate in your victory. But what happens when a person who is alone fails? They lose alone. When you fight with people in your corner, you win together. 
When I watch highlights from boxing matches, as soon as the winner, his hand goes up in the air, the first place they run is not back home or to the store. They go to the corner where their cornermen are. The guy who helped him change his strategy, the guy who healed the cut, put some jelly in it, the guy who said, you got this man, and wiped the sweat off of his face. Those are the people he celebrates with because those are the people that he spent his life with, he trained every day with, and won the battles before. But when you fight with people in your corner and you lose, there is no pity party. That's where the people we trust the most remind us of who we are. And even though we lost, they say, you're not a failure. Just because you failed does not give you the identity of a failure. Even though the plan didn't work, they say, Aaron, now we know how to make a better one. We should have weaved when we ducked. We should have shot the jab instead of the blow. We should have done something different, and now we will. Don't do life alone. We have to do life together, amen? We talked about the cost. We talked about the corner, and we're going to finish up with the contender. Here's the deal. You can be willing to pay the cost. You can give your time, talent, and treasure. You can have all the right people in your corner. But if you don't get up and fight, you've already lost. You have to be a contender. A contender is someone competing for high honor. A contender in in the sports world is someone who is winning their matches and they're moving up in rank. Oh, I defeated this guy. This guy is underneath me now. I'm 3-0. I'm 10-0. They they become a contender. We have to become that. Earlier, we listed a few common areas that we're fighting for. Marriage, family members, kids, career, health, relationships. These are all worthy to fight for. But I want to introduce to you the idea this morning that before we can become effective in those areas, we must identify a self-sabotaging enemy called complacency. What does this have to do with being a contender? Well, you see, the Israelites defeated themselves when they looked at the fight and they were like, not going to do it. I'm not going to fight. They actually said these things to Moses. We would be better off in Egypt than to do what God has told us to do. Then they say, we would actually be better off walking around this desert, whether we, we are homeless, we have nothing here except for what falls from the sky. We would be better off doing that than listening to God. So it makes me say like, okay, you don't want to be courageous enough to fight for the home that your name is already on the deed. They looked at something scary and something that looked like it had to take some effort and they decided to be complacent with something horrible because it was familiar and they knew what to expect. Oftentimes, the reason we don't chase what God has promised us, and oftentimes we look at our destiny and go, eh, I don't know, I don't know if that's this week, is because we, we recognize where we're at, and we're like, well, at least I'm familiar with this. I'm familiar with arguing with my wife, so why would I, I can fight for the marriage next week, next month. I'm familiar with my kids going crazy, so why would I help them and pray with them? I'm, I'm, I'm familiar, and there's no surprises when my job isn't going well, when my boss is yelling at me, and when I know I need to make a move, but that would require the paychecks to, I got to line them up right, and the 401k, trans, it's just not worth it. I'll get yelled at. We look at our health, and we go, I'll, I'll get on that treadmill next week, and I'm speaking to myself. We look at it, and we go, the complacency just kills it. And we look at our relationships that are toxic and go, well, at least they're fun to talk to. The arguments I can, I can endure, they're enjoyable. I like the drama it brings. 
We can choose to stay in familiar hell and pretend that everything is okay, or we can do what God has called us to do and we can be a contender against complacency. Amen. It's easy to look at the Israelites from a bird's eye view and criticize their decision-making. Well, if I was in that desert, there ain't no way. I'd be with Caleb and Joshua. I'd roll up my sleeves and say, let's get them. It's easy to say, well, God said he would fight with them. And if God was fighting with me, of course I'd have the boldness to step up and fight. But we need to transition this contender thinking to understand that God is your contender. He is undefeated. And will he lose? He never will. We're reminded of this in Romans 8.31. It says, God is for us. Who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Listen, we can't skip past this verse this morning. Are you guys still with me? So let's break it down. Uh, Go back one. One more. Yeah, if God is for us, who is us? That means you and me. He wants you to succeed and he wants you to win your fight. Have you ever had a friend that's not for you? You've had someone in your life that's, they're with you when you celebrate, but as soon as things get tough, they're like, you got it, man. Let me know how it goes. They're not for us, but God is for us. He wants us to win. Who can ever be against us? When you invite God to your battles, what enemy stands a chance? I remember in in elementary school saying, like, my dad can beat up your dad. Your dad is small. My dad could beat you up. We look at our enemies and we size them up based upon who's with us. We go, ah, they're kind of small now. But then when your dad leaves after dropping you off from school and you're on the playground, and that kid said, where's your dad at now? It's like, wait a second, hey, dad, you want him to come back. But if God is with us, if God is standing there like, my God can beat your stuff up. Hey, devil, you trying to make me fear? Well, my God's bigger than you. He's going to beat you up. And God never leaves. Oh, God wanted a way for you to be with him in eternity. So to do that, he gave his son, Jesus, to die and take on the sin of the world. Would you be willing to give up your own child for someone else? I remember Pastor Miles talking about this with Abe. Would you be willing to give up your kid to help somebody else out? Not a chance. But if God was willing to give us his son so that we could be with him, won't he also give you everything you need to be a contender in this life? When the Israelites lacked, and what I have personally lacked in my own life is a full trust of God and his love for me. Anybody else? No matter how new of a believer you are, or how spiritually mature you are, you consider yourself to be, no matter how many miracles you've seen, I'm the same place. No matter what God has done for you, we get to a place where we go, "Ah, I don't know. But we have to get to a place daily where we wake up in the morning and we say, God, thank you. Thank you for waking me up. There's something cool that happens when you let your phone sit for an extra five minutes and you don't pick it up and you go, wow, what's today, Sunday? I made it another week. God, thank you for that. And it's not a silly thing to do. It's a level of honesty in your own self. Like, I could have died. You seen the way that people drive on veterans? I I almost didn't make it. And we say, God, thank you for waking me up. But then reach to a second place. It's one thing to say, God, thank you. But it's another place to say, God, I trust you today. I trust that in every moment that I walk through today that you have my back. 
And then no matter what devil I face, no matter what situation I face, I can say, you see this guy? He's going to beat you up. Complacency, when we allow complacency in our lives, we lose, let me start over, complacency loses any ground it has gained when our trust is not in our own abilities, but fully in what God is able to do. I'm going to mess it up every time. I tried, and then I forgot that I lost, and I tried again. I'm like, no, I got it this time. But when we actually stop trusting ourselves, we can trust God. That's when complacency loses ground. So at the end of the day, what the Israelites experienced was pretty sad. They weren't allowed to enter the promised land because of their lack of faith and overwhelming fear. So if you recall, what happens is they don't trust God. God says, well, for every day that y'all messed around with these spies, you're going to walk around the desert for a year. So 40, 40 days, for that 40 years. And on top of that, he says, those of you who are 20 years of age and older, you're not going to make it. You will not see the thing that I promised for you because you did not have faith. Now that is sad. But then it said that all of their children, 19 and younger, would walk around for 40 years and they would come to that place. And as we finish today, let's fast forward 40 years. The kids from 40 years ago are now standing at the exact same spot that their parents were, and they have an opportunity. Let's jump to Deuteronomy chapter 9, 1 through 3. This section is called Victory by God's Grace. God has grace on these kids, and he says this, Listen, O Israel, today you are about to cross the Jordan River to take over the land belonging to the nations much greater and more powerful than you. They live in cities with walls that reach to the sky. The people are strong and tall, descendants of the famous Anakite giants. You've heard the saying, who can stand up against the Anakites? But recognize today that the Lord your God is the one who will cross over ahead of you like a devouring fire to destroy them. He will subdue them so that you will quickly conquer them and drive them out just as the Lord has promised. Now, I believe that God has promises for my family. He has destiny for me, and it's the same for you. They are available now, and they are ready for us if we choose to have courage. Or if we choose complacency, our children will return to our fight 40 years down the road and say, mom and dad face this? Why is it not taken care of? Why didn't they trust God? I don't want Adeline and JJ to be 40 years from now and be in their 47 and 46 and be like, why didn't mom and dad do this? Why are we still messing around with finances? Why are we still messing around with this junk in our house? Why are we still dealing with this in our life? Surely mom and dad loved us enough to take care of it. I don't want to be the Israelites who died in the desert and said, hope you guys can take care of it. Good luck to you. Mom and dad failed. That's not us. We chose to put our trust in God. Do not make your kids or your grandkids, this is generational, don't make them fight the battles you were supposed to fight. Let them walk on the victories of your faith. Imagine 40 years from now, Adeline and JJ go, I am so thankful for what mom and dad did. We don't have that debt. I'm so thankful that mom and dad cleaned out the house of junk in our life. I'm so glad they didn't expose us to this nasty stuff going on in the world. I'm glad that they did it for us so that their ceiling can be our floor. 
How many are grateful enough to be on the, the floor of your parents' ceiling? Your parents did it, and now you get to celebrate. But the work is not done. I'm excited for my kids and where they're going to go because of our faithfulness to God. But if we're disobedient, our destiny is delayed. So this morning, I want to finish with a visual reinforcement of what it takes to win the fight. I'm going to set this down for one minute. It's going to be fun. Don't look at it yet. (laughs) We have heard of inflated egos, but what happens when we fear in life is that we can inflate our fear. And so here's a few of them that I have dealt with in my life, and maybe you can relate with me. I'm not smart enough. That's a cool destiny. That's a cool promise, God, but I'm not that educated. Um, Unprepared. God, like, other people are more qualified for this, clearly. They've fought before. They should do it. Uh, Shame. God, I messed up before. The last time you told me to do something, I messed it up. So clearly I can't do it. Uh, Too weak. Has anyone else felt that way? I'm too weak to fight that. Money. God, don't you know that that's going to cost me? You better send a check in the mail. You want me to go save those kids? You better provide my Guatemala trip money because otherwise I'm not going. Uh, Not enough. I just don't have it. Anxiety. God, you know that makes me feel nervous when I deal with that situation. God, you know that I just, I, I freak out about that. Is that it? I think that's it. What happens is we have these fears in our life and we inflate them when we lack faith. And we look ahead and there's this big stupid thing in the way. And we go, I want that over there, but what's this stupid thing in my way? And that's fear. When we don't understand the cost of fighting, when we choose to fight alone and not have the right people in our corner, and when we are unwilling to trust the true contender that is God, we inflate these fears. And the more we exhale distrust, we can't see what God has in front of us. But, everybody say, but if we are willing to pay the cost by giving our resources to God, if we can trust that God has placed people in our lives on purpose for a purpose, and if we can place our trust in the one contending for us, we kill all of those fears and we realize just how small they really are. And they all end up just being hot air. It's one thing to take all this information in, and it's another to leave with a bit of complacency in our pocket. Tim, if you can put that music on. What we can do here that it's, it's a really bad idea, I don't want you to do it, is to hold on to a little bit of complacency. Like, good word, Aaron, way to go. That's some cool stuff about those Israelites. You know, I'm glad that the kids survived and they got the glory land. They, 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 they did get it. They fought, and guess what? God got all the people out of the way. But I don't want to have complacency in my pocket. I don't want to look at what God has for me and be like, it may not work. It might be hard. Someone else should do it. And we just hold on to that complacency in our pocket. And we say, you know what, God, I'll do it next month. I'll do it next year. 
Um, I'm still working on some stuff, personal God, you know, you know what's going on. I don't have the capacity. So I want us to actually do an exercise to get rid of that complacency. Are you ready? This is also fun. Take out your phone, please. I'm not going to make you call anybody. But if you have your phone, please take it out. And if you don't know how to use a phone well or text, you can write it on a piece of paper. But what I would like you to do is to recognize the thought of what you're fighting for in your life. It could be multiple things. For me, it is. I have a stack of things to fight. I've got my gloves on, my mouthpiece is in, I'm ready to go. We're gonna do one thing at a time. I would like you to text someone in your corner. And it might just be one person. Or if you don't have anyone in your corner, I would like you to consider having a cut man. Consider having someone to say, you need to bob and weave a little more. And I would like you to text them and just super simple and say, hey, I just want to let you know this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm fighting for. And I would like you to be the person to remind me of what I'm fighting for. Because what's going to happen is we're going to go to lunch today and we're going to be like, oh, it's cool about the Israelites. And then tomorrow we just live with complacency. So what I want is a level of accountability here. I just want you to text one person and say, hey, I'm thankful that you're in my life. Thank you for being in my corner. If you say that word, thank you for being in my corner, people know what that means. Thank you for being in my corner. Uh, Can you help me keep accountable as I fight through financial freedom? Can you help me be accountable as I figure out how to love my wife better? Can you keep me accountable as I try to figure out how to parent well? I just need you to remind me about once a week that I'm in it and that I can do it and then you can put some petroleum jelly in my cuts and just send that text and just say, I'm just thankful for you. This is what I'm dealing with. It's super simple. It could, it, it could be a little scary to do, but I'd like you to do it scared and trust that God has that person in your life on a purpose for a purpose. Amen. Please stay with me this morning as we finish. I don't talk about Ariel and I's fight to be boastful or prideful or to say, ha, we did it. I say it so that you can grab onto some hope. Aaron could do it. He's different. He's a little weird. If Aaron can do it, I can surely do it. And let me encourage you, if I can pick up an extra job to knock out debt, to get, see, I, I flirted with finances for eight years. Just flirted with it. But we came to a point, I was sitting in a chair, my my broken chair, watching Netflix, and I said, I'm done. This is stupid. And I got up, I got a job, and two weeks later I was working the job, and now it's done. Just kill it. Grab it by the throat and kill it. Quit Quit flirting with it. I don't know. That wasn't written down, but someone needed to hear that because that's the stuff that I needed to hear. So I want to encourage you, have that person that's in your corner. If you don't have people in your corner, get some people. Just say, hey, I like what you're doing in your life. I like that you're responsible. I like that I've seen the fight. Perhaps you've seen the fight that they went through and they were victorious. Say, hey, can you be in my corner? And it doesn't have to be 12 people. Just a couple folks. I just need you in my corner because that's how we do life together. 
And that's the way God wants us to do it because God's process is better than our process. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you today that we got to get into the word and perhaps get into some scripture that we normally would pass by to get into some of the fun stuff in the New Testament. But God, that you would help us hit the rewind button and to get a few principles that a group of 600,000 people, an entire nation had to understand before they could come to the promised land. And God, I pray that, that you would, as we go to our promised land, that you would guide us through miracles, that you would split the Red Sea and we would have those Red Sea moments. Father, I pray that we would have some people in our corner, that we would be willing to trust you with our time, our talent, and our treasure. And God, I pray that we would contend and fight the good fight of faith, but also that we would recognize your position in our lives as the contender with a capital C, that you fight for us. And just like the Israelites, you go before us and prepare a place for us. And you don't just go in and knock a few things over, but you go in like a fire that devours our enemies. Father, as we move from this place forward, I pray that you would give us courage to fight. I pray that we would kick complacency right where it needs to go out of our lives. And the minute that a little bit comes, that we would recognize it for the lie that it is and just choke it out. God, thank you for this wisdom today. Help us as we go this week to love our families well, to love our neighbor, and to be victorious. If you want God to be your consenter this morning, you say, Aaron, that's all good, way to go. But for me, I haven't seen him fight before. Well, I pray that you would use the experience from scripture. You'd use my experience. You say, Aaron, I want God to be my contender. And if you want God to be your contender, to be your savior this morning, I pray that you would just put your hand up just a little bit. Nobody needs to look at you. You say, God, come fight for me. I believe that you're my savior. I want to be with you in heaven and get that heavenly reward that Paul talked about with the Philippians. I want to finish the race strong, God, and I don't want to do it alone. I'm tired of doing it alone. Please do it with me. It's that simple. God, I pray for those that raise their hands, Lord, that you would be with them today in a moment, that it wouldn't take a week to recognize your goodness that you would be with them today. God, thank you for those victories. Thank you for the fight that we're in because it only grows us. And thank you for our trust in you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.